So it's very evident, I think, to many of us that we live in a very polarizing world today, uh, very divisive times. Uh, anger is common, division is common, quarreling is common. And I, I think about the, the feature on Facebook where you can block or unfollow people that you, that you don't want to see. You know, we, we quickly determine who is, who is worthy of, of our attention. And I think we do the same in our own lives. Who is, who is worthy of our attention, our concern, our love? And I think like we do on Facebook at times, we, be, we begin to, to make decisions. We begin to filter people out of our love, out of our hearts, out of our concern. And we, we begin to ask questions on, on what basis should we, should we care? Well, well are, are, these, are these kind people? Are they good people? Or are they bad people? Are they, are they American or are they foreign? Are they, are they Republican or are they Democrat? Are they, are they Christian or are they Muslim? Are they, are they educated or are they ignorant? On what basis do I, should I have concern? And I think often we begin to realize that our love and our concern is, is quite limited. It's, it's, it's very conditional and selective. But my friends, the only hope for our world is a missional love. A love that keeps expanding and expanding to the whole world, to every people group. And so the book of Jonah shows us exactly what we need. The missional love of God. We've been in this sermon series called Major Messages from the Minor Prophets. And I want to talk to you about Jonah, so I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Jonah and, and get that ready because we're going to be walking through it. Turn to chapter 1. Now, Jonah, he was a prophet. He was a clergyman. He was well acquainted with God's ways and God's word. Uh, but even with all of that, it was clear that Jonah's love was selective and conditional. His love needed expanding just like the Grinch's heart needed to grow wider. He needed that. The and the message of Jonah can help us hear the heart of God and to live it. And Jonah, he lived in the 8th century B.C. He's a contemporary with Amos and Hosea, who we've recently done. And so it, it was, he was under the reign of the prosperous uh, King Jeroboam II. So things were fairly good in Israel. But looming away from Israel was, at the time, the world's superpower, Assyria. And you can read about uh, this empire in, the, in, the hit, in different history books. And if you read about Assyria, you will know that uh, when they... Uh, engaged people in battle, they were infamous for being exceptionally violent. And honestly, it would be extremely uncomfortable <laughs> if I were even to describe any of the details of the forms of torture that they used. They were to be feared. I mean, a modern, modern day comparisons, you might, you might think of the Nazis in Germany, or you might think of Muslim extremists going to, you know, in various countries. When you thought about Assyria, you thought brutal, you thought scary, you thought evil. Certainly worthy of God's judgment. And Nineveh was their capital, capital city. And so the book of Jonah opens with verse 2, Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. And now the people reading this are saying, Right, yes, the Assyrians, they are so wicked and evil. They deserve a message of judgment. But Jonah does not jump at the chance to tell the Assyrians like it is. Verse 3, Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. Well, why is Jonah running? You know, perhaps, perhaps he is scared to go to Nineveh. You know, perhaps he's, he's thinking about their, their violence and what, and what they might do to him. You know, to go into the, the belly of the beast, so to speak, and to preach against the evil empire. To go to the Death Star and preach against Darth Vader. This would be a scary thing. This would be, you would not want to go there. This is going in to the heart of enemy territory. It might be a death wish. But it was not the Assyrians' violence 
that kept Jonah from going to Nineveh. It was not that. It was that he did not love the Assyrians. He did not think that they were worthy of God's love, and he didn't want them to even have the chance, maybe, to find forgiveness and repentance. He did not love the Assyrian as he loved himself. And so God's, we need to understand that Jonah is about God's missional love that expands to the whole world. And so this morning, I want to walk us through four points about God's missional love that come from each of the chapters uh, from the book of Jonah. So let's start with point number one from chapter one. God's love calls us to be willing missionaries. God's love calls us to be willing missionaries. God called Jonah to go to a group of people, preach the word of God to them. And Jonah, he's anything but willing. He tries to go as far away from Nineveh as he possibly could. Now, I got a map on the screen. And uh, if you look, Israel is kind of where it says Ammon and Moab and Edom. It's kind of slightly to the west of that, uh, on the east side of the Mediterranean. That's where Israel is. And then most people, most scholars think Tarshish is all the way over in modern-day Spain. At the very least, it is the furthest place in the, that you could get away in the known world at the time. It is far away. And that's where Jonah, so Jonah goes to Joppa, if you can see that, and he wants, he's trying to sail all the way to Tarshish. He wants to run from God's call. And he wants to leave the temple. He wants to leave the people. He wants to leave anything that might remind him of his call, remind him of God, remind him of what God is calling him to do. And so he flees to a place where no one will know the name of Yahweh, where people will just leave him alone and let him be, let him live his life. When God calls you to a purpose, to his mission, what is your response? Well, none of us may physically relocate to avoid God's call. Often we do everything but immediately obey God, don't we? We run from the call to go to Nineveh to flee to our Tarshish. We run from the needs of the world to our own vocations, our own needs, our own concerns. We hide in our phones. We run to our we get lost in our families, our children, and in our activities. Many Christians today, I believe, seem especially allergic to God's call to missionary engagement and activity. You know, I, I often hear the greatest, the greatest pushback from, I hear from Christians is usually something about God's call to, to missionary activity, to being will, willing missionaries. Um, you know, I, sometimes I think about Jesus giving his great commission, you know, that famous passage, Matthew 28, go make disciples of all nations. And sometimes I imagine people giving Jesus the same excuse as I hear Christians and us, us give Jesus. You know, go make disciples of all nations. And, uh, and then one of the disciples pipes up, excuse me, Jesus, I'm not an evangelist. I don't have the gift of evangelism. I, I don't think I can do what you're calling me to do. Can, actually, let's have Peter do it because he's really gifted in that. And I'm just going to... I am with you. Go make disciples. Go make disciples of all nations. Not so fast, Jesus. You know, I, I, you know, I think we should really get stronger as a group first. I think we, we really need to focus on those who are inside. You know, we're, we're not as educated as the scribes and the Pharisees are. We don't, we don't know the Bible as well as they do. Maybe we should have a Bible study on, on making discipleship first, and then we can go make disciples. No. Go. Make disciples. And of course, we should disciple the people in the community of God. But discipleship, according to Jesus, is to teach people to obey everything I've commanded you. And so discipleship in the church is teaching people to obey the great commission of Jesus of making disciples. 
And so it must be that we train, that we equip, that we encourage, and that we move towards outreach and evangelism and making disciples of all nations. Because that is what Jesus has called us to do. That's discipleship. But I think when we bring this up among us, often we want to run to the comfort of Tarshish instead of going to Nineveh. We don't want to be bothered with God's missionary call. We'd rather, we don't want to go to Nineveh. But even if we run from God's call, friends, he's going to find ways to bring us back to obedience. He is. Look what he did for Jonah, verse 4 in chapter 1. The Lord sends this great wind upon the sea, this violent storm uh, upon the ship, and the sailors are crying out to their gods. This is no light storm. This is a violent storm. The ship is about to come apart. And when people are about to die, whether they're religious or not, what do they do? Oh, God, save me. This is what the sailors are doing. But what's Jonah doing? Verse 5 and 6. Jonah had gone below the deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. And the captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? See, Jonah is so apathetic about God's missionary call. He is literally sleeping while the sailors' lives are in danger. In fact, it was Jonah's disobedience that caused this in the first place and put their lives at risk. And he doesn't even care. Now, we might be quick to point the finger at Jonah, but we might find that there's three pointing right back at us. The world is full of people who need the gospel of Jesus Christ, who need to hear the good news of God's love and God's forgiveness. But our missional passion can often be gauged, be gauged as, as sleeping on the ship. While people around us are spiritually and physically dying without the hope of Jesus Christ. You see, Jonah's love and our love, it has to be expanded until we feel how passionately God feels about the world. It has to be expanded. We've got to let our hearts grow. So God has to wake Jonah up from his slumber. And so in order for the storm to stop, the sailors have to toss him out of the boat. And Jonah fears that he may die. But then what happens, the famous part of the story, verse 17 the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now, we might run from God's missional call, but we can sure he will be doing things to bring us back to obedience so that we might live out his purpose in our lives. What has, been, what has God been calling you to do that you've been running from? Who has God been calling you to reach? Who has he been tapping you on the shoulder about that you've been running away from. So Jonah, he's inside a fish. Incredible miracle, but it gets even crazier. Jonah is actually praying inside the belly of the fish. Chapter 2, verse 1, In my distress I called to the Lord, and he answered me. Jonah is saying, God has saved me. Why? Why did God save Jonah when he was so disobedient, when he was trying to get away from God as far as he could? Well, this leads me to point number two this morning. God's love saves us for mission. God's love saves us for mission. You see, Jonah, he was as good as dead. He was tossed into a violent storm in the ocean, and if, if you've ever been in the ocean and the waves are getting intense, it can be one of the most scary things in the world. And Jonah has these waves crashing over him, and he begins, he can't keep up, he begins to sink. And it says he sank down to the bottom of the ocean, and it even says the seaweed is wrapping around his head. His lungs are burning and he nearly goes unconscious. And at that moment, God provides a large fish to swallow him. And so the book describes this, this miraculous situation like many other miracles we find in the Bible. The God who sends the storm and commands the waves is the same God who can command a fish 
to keep Jonah safe inside it. And so Jonah, he recognizes that this situation uh, is the hand of God, that God has saved him. So he begins to pray inside the fish, and he's not even on dry land yet. He's not even, he's not even you know, into a safe and comfortable environment. But he is saying already that God has saved him and delivered him. That's why he says in verse 9, we prayed this morning, I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. He's saying he's saved. Friends, this is a picture of our salvation in Jesus Christ. Through the cross, through the resurrection, Jesus has canceled all the debt of sin against us. He has delivered us from sin and death. He has defeated all the powers of evil and Satan. He has delivered us from all fear and condemnation. He has resurrected. He has ascended. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. He has saved us. Yet, the world is still broken. We are not as we know we ought to be. Things are not the way that they should be. This world is so broken. In many ways, we are saved, but we are still in the belly of the fish. We're not to the promised land where God is going to bring us. But God, he doesn't have the salvation simply for our own sakes so we can wait around till we die and go to heaven. That's not why God has saved us, and that's not why God has saved Jonah. No, Look, verse 10, the Lord, in chapter 2, the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. And then what does God immediately do? Chapter 3, verse 2. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. You see, God saved Jonah again because he had a purpose for him. He had a purpose for his life. He had a mission that he wanted him to live to his call. So when God saves us, he always sends us on mission. Has God saved anybody this morning? I asked, has God saved anybody this morning? Yes. All right. If God has saved you, he has a mission for you. He has a purpose for you. He has something he wants you to do. He has, some, he has his, this kingdom that he wants you to participate in. You're part of the church. And Jesus didn't die so that we could be comfortable in, in Tarshish. He died to send us to the people who are uncomfortable. He died to send us to the Ninevehs around us, to the people that nobody else wants to reach, to the places that no one else is willing to go. That's what Christians are willing to do. The people that we don't think deserve the grace of God, that's who he's calling us to reach. So God has saved us for his mission. Well, what part is he calling you to play? What might be God asking you to do even in this season? So this time, so this time around, God has gotten Jonah's attention, and Jonah obeys God's call to go to Nineveh. It's a long journey, 500 miles from his hometown. And when he gets there, he preaches an extremely short sermon. Chapter 3, verse 4. Forty more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. It's actually only five words in the Hebrew. He says Nineveh is going to be destroyed in 40 days. You know, why did God care so much to save Jonah so that he could just go preach this message of judgment to the Ninevites? Why would God go through all that just to have that message? Well, this leads me to chapter three, or point number three, out of chapter three. God loves us enough to warn us about judgment and respond to our repentance. He loves us enough to warn us about judgment and respond to our repentance. Remember chapter 1, verse 2. God says, go to the city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. You see, God wanted Jonah to preach against, against Nineveh because it was a very evil city. 
But God wasn't just sending a message to judge them and shame them only. It was actually a warning to give them an opportunity to repent. And that's exactly what happened. The entire town goes into repentance. They start fasting and mourning and putting on sackcloth. And the king gets involved and he issues a decree. We're all going to do this. And they do exactly what the prophet Joel told the Israel to do. We're going to have a revival. We're going to revive this place. Repent. And they're crying out to see if God might spare them and forgive them. You see, God telling us the hard truth is more loving than trying to hide or sugarcoat the truth. I mean, imagine if Jonah had gone to this, this evil city of Nineveh and said, Hey guys, God really loves you. He has a wonderful plan for your life. Just, just believe in him, all right? I mean, that's, that's really what I'm asking you. No, I mean, that wouldn't be effective. That doesn't get the message across fully. Yes, there, there's truth to what I just said, but it's not the whole truth. And only the whole truth is going to save the Ninevites. Only the whole truth brings people back to God. We have to tell people the whole truth. Yes, that God loves the whole world immensely, but he's also the judge of the whole world. Everyone has sinned against him in great and frequent ways. And there is no way we can be saved by just being good people alone. Only God can forgive us and save us. Only God. And God's own two hands, the Son of God and the Spirit of God, have made a way of salvation. And that all those who would repent and put their trust in Jesus Christ can be saved. Without this, we can only expect fear and judgment from the judge of the world. That's the whole truth. That is the truth. And so the cross, at the same time, the cross shows us, yes, how sinful we are. How sinful we stand before God. He had to send his son to come and die for our sins. But yet it also shows us at the same time how incredibly loved and precious you are in God's sight. Because he would come and die for your sins that you might be with him forever. The cross shows us the whole truth of God's salvation in Jesus Christ. And so God shows his love to the evil Ninevites by warning them of his judgment and gives them an opportunity to repent and respond in faith. And what does God do? He responds. He forgives. See, God does not delight in the death of the wicked. Rather, he would rather see them saved and come to repentance, no matter how far they have gone from him. But what happens is God forgives the Ninevites, and this really angers Jonah. This is because Jonah did under point four of my sermon. See, point number four, God loves the whole world. The whole world. Verse 2, look what Jonah says. He's mad and he says, chapter 4, verse 2. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish? I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. You see, Jonah, he had a suspicion that God might actually save the Ninevites, that God might have mercy upon them. And he thought he didn't, he didn't agree with that. He didn't think, God, that, that would not be right of you. That would not be just. And can you blame him? Who would really want the Nazis to find forgiveness? I mean, how many people after 9-11 wanted Al-Qaeda to get mercy? I mean, can you blame Jonah for his reaction? Yet God needed to show Jonah that his love and compassion 
extend to all, to the whole world, even to the most horrible, even to the most wicked, even to the most despicable people in the world, they are not outside of God's love and compassion. So God causes a plant to grow and to shade Jonah in the sun. In the sun. As Jonah watched to see what might happen to the city, whether they would truly repent or be destroyed or not. And then God causes this plant to die by sending a worm to eat it. And Jonah is extremely angry that this plant is dead. And then look what uh, God says to him in verse 10, chapter 4. The Lord said, You've been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up over, overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals. And that's where the book of Jonah ends. On a question, should not God have concern for the whole world? See, we get so concerned about many things, don't we? Little things, little things that we think are so important, things that we think we're entitled to, or maybe it's our comforts or our preferences, you know, whether that's our preferences in the home, in the workplace, in the school, or even in the church. We get mad and upset when things don't go the way that we want them to go. And God says, are you so concerned about that? Shouldn't you have the even greater concern for people who don't yet know me? Who don't have my mercy and forgiveness in their life? Take the anger that you have for that and rechannel it to God's missional call in Christ Jesus. So by implication... Jonah needs to care about the whole world. His, his heart and love need to, need to expand beyond his preferences and his comfort. And so the question is for us, shouldn't we, as individuals and as a church, care more about the lost world, the people who need Jesus Christ, than about our own comforts, than more than our own preferences, than more than the way that we, things, the way that we think things should go? He says we should care more for those who need Jesus Christ. You see, friends, God's missional love for the whole world is made known to us because he sent his son that whoever might believe in him may not perish but have everlasting life. And friends, Jesus is our better Jonah. Jesus is our better Jonah. You see, both were prophets from Galilee. They were sent to a sinful people to proclaim the word of God. And Jonah fled, but Jesus came willingly. He left the throne of heaven, the glory of heaven, to come down and take on human flesh and become a servant to all. You see, Jonah and Jesus, they both fell asleep in a storm. Only one could calm the sea with a word from his mouth. Both put their lives on the line that others might be saved. And Jonah, he went into the belly of the fish for three days and emerged on dry land. But Jesus, he went down into the belly of the grave, and on the third day, he emerged resurrected. Instead of being swallowed up by death, Jesus swallowed up death forever. Where, O oh death, is your sting? Where, O oh death, is your victory? It is no longer, because Jesus has swallowed you up. Amen? God's love calls us to be willing missionaries. What is your Nineveh? Who is your Nineveh? God's love saves us for a mission. Are you living on purpose or are you a little asleep below the deck? God loves us enough to warn us about judgment and respond to our repentance. Do we tell ourselves and do we tell others the whole truth and the hard truths when necessary? And God loves the whole 
world? Do you have concern for God's big world? Does your love perhaps need expanding? Does your heart need expanding? Can you love more and more people? Friends, may we invite the Holy Spirit to transform our hearts that we might have greater concern and greater love for his world. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we do invite you to come move in our hearts. Thank you that you have saved us. Thank you that you have redeemed us. Thank you that you have sent your son to die that we might be forgiven of all sin. And Lord, be risen to new life. Send your Holy Spirit upon us, we pray, that we might live out your missional call. God, help us to be obedient. Help us to go where you send us. Here we are. Send us. In Christ's name, amen.